Welcome everyone to the Bible Quest Wednesday edition. We are really glad to have everyone on today. We hope that you can join us and get your Bible out and turn it over to the book of Philippians in the New Testament, one of Paul's epistles that he wrote whenever he was in prison. Um, we will be picking up in verse 18 in just a second. Today we're going to get to talk a little bit about the fact that Paul has nothing to lose. Um, he truly uh, believes that it is it is his prerogative to want to um, stay on the earth if he needs to, to help the brethren, or if he dies, that's also on the table for him, having been in prison. And so Paul is going to talk about uh, some of the hope that he has in Christ, whether one of those or the other happens. Um, and if we get into chapter two, we'll talk about following Christ's example. So we'll get to talk more about that as the podcast prog uh, progresses today. Uh, joining us as normal for the Wednesday edition, we have Joe Works in Elmira, New York. How are you doing today, Joe? Hey, that was a great way to introduce uh, the text uh, that we're going to be looking at. Uh, no lose situation for the Apostle Paul. Yeah. And then, of course, we have Jeff in Extenberg. No, sorry, just Exton, Pennsylvania. How are you doing today, Jeff? I am doing fine. Uh, sitting here in Exton, Pennsylvania, as I look at you in Harrisburg. And for those who are maybe new to this webcast, uh, we're just being specific because I tend to have a problem remembering the names of these cities. You know, Jeff, it would probably help like if you just like put something circular on your finger to help you to remember. <laughs> something like, like this little thing here. Yeah, yeah what is, is that? Help you or something like that? What is Let's that? get to Philippians. All right, Philippians chapter one. Guys, last week I wasn't on, but Philippians, Paul opens up by talking to them about how much he appreciates them. Uh, they're the saints in Macedonia. We talked about that in part one. Uh, part two, last week, we talked about verses 12 through 17, and although I wasn't on, that is the section where Paul will talk about some selfish preachers who are out and about, some guys who are uh, certainly out there to preach Christ for selfish reasons, but Paul rejoices in the fact that even though um, there those selfish preachers out there, the word of the gospel is getting preached. Um, Paul will also rejoice in the fact that although he's in prison, um, he is able to talk to the entire Praetorian Guard, and they're able to hear his story, and he's able to use that as an opportunity to spread the gospel as well. Um, and that is why in verse 18, uh, Paul will say, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. But what we might be thinking is, well, what's worse than being in prison? And all the churches you've worked with are having to stand up against maybe some false teachers and selfish preachers. What could possibly be worse than that? Well, he's still alive, at least, right? Yeah, surely he, he's still got that going for him. Well, that's what he's about to get into with us. Um, so I don't know. How far, how far down do you guys want to read, picking up in verse 18? Uh, maybe just through verse 24. All right, that'll work. When you guys want to read that for us, 18 through 24? All right, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and therein I rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn out to my salvation through your supplication and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing shall I be put to shame, and that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
But if to live in the flesh, if this shall bring fruit from my work, then what I shall choose I know not. But I am in a strait betwixt the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for it is very far better. Yet to abide in the flesh is more needful for your sake. Okay, so Paul is pretty clear here, guys. Is, he, is his life in danger, or is he just going about life with no worries? So he's a prisoner in Rome at this point. And his, while the fact is he's done nothing worthy of death, who knows how his case is going to turn out. Now, the fact is, as we get in the next few verses, he does seem to know. But, but certainly, just from earthly perspective, who knows? And so uh, he contemplates the two possibilities and says, well, um, what my life is about is serving Christ. And so if I live, that's what I'm going to do. But it'd be even better for me if I were to go and be with Christ. However, he sees there's a need for him in this lifetime on earth to be able to do the work that he's doing. It's needful for the sake of those to whom he preaches and for even the Philippians. And so he, he says that would be the advantage of staying. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I do have a question for you guys. At, at, at the end of verse 20, one of the things Paul will say is, I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What, what do you guys think that means, Christ will be exalted in my body? I, I wish Joe were here. I, I bet he'd have an insightful comment. He's, we've lost him just for a minute. I'm sure he'll be back in just a minute. But I think what, you know, you think about when you die and the body dies. Um, and there you see in our culture, we see the body lying in the casket. And I don't know how you all feel about it. But to me, what lies there in the casket, however much they try to fix it up, it doesn't look like the person. Um, but in, in, um, in Paul's case, what he's saying is, even if my body dies, if I die, people can look at, at that body and say he gave his life for Jesus Christ, and uh, he was willing to die for Jesus Christ. So I don't think it's that they look at the corpse itself and say, wow, what a fine looking corpse. I think it's that they look at the corpse and they say, you know what, this man accomplished what he wanted to do with his life, and now he's been glorified, or he, he will be glorified. Yeah, Joe, we were just talking about perhaps what the meaning behind Paul saying Christ will be exalted in my body, what, what that means. Sure. Um, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, I, I would sort of associate it with uh, Galatians 6 um, uh, when uh, Paul talks about how he bears in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Um, uh, and so, again, uh, it's not so much looking at his body while he does have marks on him. It's the life that he has lived for uh, the cause of Christ. Um, and and he is encouraging others by the way that he's living. You know, I think this will connect really well with something we might be able to get into later in the podcast, if not today, but next week, when Paul will turn his attention to their attitudes and the fact that they need to have Christ-like hearts um, and it'll appeal to Christ. He'll say down in chapter two and verse eight about Jesus, uh, he was found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Um, and so Paul is appealing to 
the humility that Jesus went to in his want for the Philippians to also be humble in their regards and in their acting with one another. And so I think that it's really cool to think about exalting Christ in our body the same way that God was exalting Jesus. Uh, so I think it's kind of cool how those two things connect. Um, but anyways, sense. yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Think about the sense of purpose that you, you see in Paul's words. How many people go through life not really feeling like they have a purpose or wondering what their purpose is? And Paul's purpose is Christ, so that even death is put in perspective because his ultimate goal is to go and be with Christ. And as long as he's in this life, his life is about Christ. And, you know, people who get despondent and they get depressed, they are often people who really have no sense of purpose. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And um, there's just so much hope that comes with, with living for something that's even beyond this life. Um, I, I, I like to ask that question to people who aren't believers. What do you hope for? Uh, what, what is it that you're living for? Sincerely think through why are you living? If there's no purpose after this life, surely you have no more drive. Uh, this life is just so temporary on the scale of eternity. Uh, I remember there was a teacher at one of the camps I go to, Simon Harris. He actually might be listening. And uh, he might have been teaching through Philippians when he was making this point. But he illustrated our, our being in comparison to eternity as like a rope. He had this endless rope and we couldn't see one side of it. And he put a little bit, little bitty dot on the rope. And he said, you're not even the dot on that rope. You are so small in comparison. And yet what you do for however many years you're on this earth, have an impact, a direct impact on all of eternity. Um, and so for the atheist or, or for somebody who isn't uh, a Christian, my, my question is, what do you hope for? What do you look forward to after this life? Uh, because I, I, it's my personal opinion. You cannot have this type of attitude that Paul has without having Christ in your life. Uh, Christ is the only place you can go to find this type of, of, of attitude. But Paul doesn't have a, a death wish in the sense that, you know, he just sees no reason to live. Right. Uh, he says in verse 24, yet to abide in the flesh is more needful for your sake. So he has a mission while he's in this life. And he sees it as being something that's good for those uh, with whom he has influence. He's certainly not saying that he just can't wait to die so that he can just go to heaven. He's tired of being in this miserable and wretched place. He's saying that, of course, it would be better for me to go on to be with Christ. Everyone can understand that. But there's still going to be a purpose that he serves while he's still on the earth. Um, and I think it's just so cool that, that he is even willing, I think from his attitude here, he's willing to forgo heaven for a short time in order to be with the saints longer, to build them up and encourage them and get more of them to go, uh, to go and be with them. So I think that's really cool. That shows a lot of love on Paul's part for these Philippians and for any other brethren he decides to work with. Yeah. It's interesting to me as we get on into verse 25 and following that uh, it seems if I, and you guys tell me if you think otherwise, but it seems to me that we end up finding out that this was kind of a, uh, an academic discussion. I mean, academic in the sense that he wasn't really left wondering which, what was going to happen to him here right away. He ends up saying in verse 25, uh, having this confidence, I know that I shall abide, yea, and abide with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, that your glory may, be, may abound in Christ Jesus in me through my presence with you again. 
I think he's saying there, I actually know the Lord has indicated, I assume the Lord has indicated to him, that he is going to survive this imprisonment and he's going to have further opportunity to serve in this world before he leaves it. Is that the way you take that? No, yeah, perhaps you're right. No, I've, I've often thought that as well. And we do know historically, Paul does get out of this imprisonment if this was his first imprisonment. He'll, he'll die later on. Um, but what I find so profound here is that Paul, of course, he's writing to these brethren to kind of like cheer them up from being sad about his circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's how I've always read this. That, like back in verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. I, I can almost see the Philippians being so bummed out for Paul, right? Oh no, Paul, he's locked up. There's all these false teachers and selfish guys out there and he might die. And Paul is writing to them saying, hey guys, really don't worry about me. Be happy for me. Look at it from my perspective. Look at it from my point of view. And it's so cool that Paul is trying to cheer them up from their sadness for his particular situation. This just feels so backwards. Uh, so I definitely think that's what Paul is trying to do here. He's trying to say, hey guys, even if I do die, by the way, I don't think I'm going to. I think I'm going to get through this. But even if I did die, it'd be okay. I would get to go be with the Lord. Um, and so Paul is maybe contrasting that out loud, even if it isn't like that he doesn't absolutely know. Uh, yeah, Joe, go ahead. So you, you make the point that, you know, he doesn't think that he's going to die, uh, but you're exactly right, that it doesn't matter because when he does think that he's going to die, he makes the exact same argument in Second uh, Timothy chapter one. Uh, he talks about not being ashamed uh, in uh, verse eight. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Paul's speaking to, to Timothy. He says, don't be ashamed of what's going on. Here in Philippians 1, he had said, I have the full expectation to not be ashamed uh, in uh, 1, uh, 120, um, uh, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. And as he's about, as he knows he's about ready to die, he, in 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of me, the prisoner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good connection. Um, I hadn't thought about connecting 2 Timothy and, and Philippians 1 here, so that's really, that's really solid. Thank you. Uh, well, guys, any other thoughts or comments? I guess that gets us down through verse 26. Joe, you want to read 27 through 30 for us? Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Wow, what a, what a high calling that Paul calls these brethren to. Verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What do you guys think that means? Dissect that for me. Well, you know, you can put the emphasis in a couple of different places. One, you can put your emphasis upon what he's calling upon them to do. And, and that's certainly something we want to talk about. But for the moment, I'd like to put the emphasis on uh, 
his motivation in saying it, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's calling them, calling on them to live in a certain way. And my thought goes down to verse two of the next chapter where he says, make full my joy. Um, what you see is Paul having great joy in seeing and hearing of those whom he has taught, those whom he has loved, walking in a, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. If he can hear that the Philippians are doing what they ought to do, that, that's, that's, what he, that's what he's all about. Yeah, that's a good connection to verse two. I hadn't really thought about that. And the, the section, the section obviously goes really well together as well. I, I think it's sometimes really helpful to ignore chapter breaks altogether, uh, especially there in verse 27. I hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. But later on in verse two, um, make my joy being the same mind, same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And there's that plea for them to continue to stay united. But to the phrase, um, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, a couple of passages come to mind. One is, is in uh, Matthew, the third chapter, where John the Baptist calls on people to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Um, he's calling upon people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, you need to live in a manner that is commensurate with this repentance. If you claim you're repenting, show the fruit of it. But the other passage that comes to mind is the whole book of Ephesians where Paul writes to Gentiles and in the first three chapters, he talks about what God has done for them, the great spiritual blessings in Christ, the fact that though they were estranged from God, they've now actually become a part of the house of God. Uh, they are a holy temple, a dwelling place for God, a habitation for God and the spirit. When you start thinking about the idea that we have been called to be a place where God lives, and we think about the holiness of God, then it's not surprising that the second half of Ephesians is about walking worthily of that calling. Live like somebody who uh, is a dwelling place for God. Live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ here in Philippians 127. The gospel is the good news. Here's this great news that God has taken away our sins and made it possible for us to be righteous in his eyes, uh, holy, separated from sin. Well, live in a manner commensurate with, with that calling. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I love, I love thinking through um, the fact that it, it's not necessarily that we've earned it, right? No. That we, um, if we have done all the right things, we're worthy of the gospel. I don't think there's anything that would make us worthy in the sense of, of earning it, but still living in a way that shows that we're forgiven, mm -hmm. uh, that shows that we appreciate the grace that God has given us so that we're going to do what's right. Um, so anyways, I love little statements like that. What your time with Ephesians is really good because Paul will make several little statements like that that are making you think through your calling now that you've been forgiven. And this is one of those walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Joe. So uh, certainly agree with all of that. I think that's helpful. I also wonder if he's not dealing with something very specific in Philippians. Uh, you know, he's just spent several verses talking about himself, which he never does unless he has a very specific purpose as application for others. If there's an exception to that, I don't know what it would be uh, in any of his letters. So he, he spends all the way from verse 12 to 26 or so talking about his own situation of suffering and uh, of so forth. And then he says, and verse 27 is, is not a change of subject then, 
Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Why? Verse 28, so that you're not terrified of any adversaries, because verse 29, it's been granted that you're going to suffer for his sake. Just Paul saying, just like I've suffered, just like I might die, I might live, I might get out, I might not, you all need to live worthy of the gospel as well, because you're going to face the same things that I'm facing. And so it seems like he's really not in any uh, deceiving way, but he sort of set this whole thing up by saying, all these things that have happened to me, what's my attitude? I'm rejoicing over them. I'm going to use them to magnify Christ. You guys get ready. You do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, too, the very specific allusion I think we see in verse 30 to his time in Philippi. In verse 30, he refers to the Philippians as having the same conflict which they saw in Paul and now here to be in Paul. Well, when he says now here to be in Paul, I think he's saying they've, they're hearing about his imprisonment yeah. in Rome. But when he says, which you saw in me, I would assume he's talking about the conflict that he experienced when in Acts 16, he was in Philippi. And we know how he was arrested, he and Silas, and they were put in jail. And uh, at least that would be one example of how the Philippians had seen what he was willing to suffer and endure for the, for the gospel. And so now he calls on them, you'd be willing to endure suffering in the same way. Can, can you imagine, Chase, Jeff, listen, Christ is going to grant you something. He's going to, he's going to allow you something. Are, are you ready for it? He's going to allow you to suffer. Right. I, that, that's, that's not something that we would normally think of as something that God is granting or God is giving. Uh, Acts 5, when the apostles were, were all uh, beaten for the cause of Christ, they thanked God that they were considered worthy of that. Uh -huh. uh, again, the same language that's used here in 27 through 30. Um, uh, and, and here he's saying that, that God is granting that to you. That, that's a blessing for, yeah. for yeah. them. Yeah. We would normally not think in those terms. I was telling I you, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Jeff, if you know offhand, I would be curious to know if that's the same Greek word. Uh, for oh, word. I, I can look it up. I'll look it up in just a second. I'm, yeah. You're talking about the, the worthy word. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. I just, I appreciate Joe's connection there. It's certainly the same in the English. Obviously. I was just yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up in just a second. You're talking about Acts 5.41 and the passage here in Philippians 1. Uh, yeah, Acts 5.41. So just, but I was talking Sunday with the brethren here in the church at Exxon. We'd been meeting outside. We've been meeting now for 16 weeks outside. And uh, I, we're perfectly within all of the things that are being stated as far as uh, gathering sizes and all of that kind of thing. But when we first started meeting outside, um, you know, there was some ambiguity in exactly what were the the restrictions. We were sitting on the fact that in the state of Pennsylvania or in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, religious organizations were counted as um, exempt from the closings. However, it didn't really spell out that, you know, we were exempt from the guidelines of only 10 people assembling or that kind of thing. And a lot of those things I think were intentionally vague. They were things where they could, they could announce guidelines, but they didn't really have the force of law, but they didn't say this is not a law. So some of those things were rather vague and where do we fall uh, under, under the umbrella of all those guidelines? But the fact is, in some jurisdictions, you have, uh, you could have somebody who doesn't have a great deal of sympathy for faith, for Jesus Christ, for the gospel, for churches, 
and they might see something that they might interpret as being contrary to uh, whatever guidelines have been promulgated. And um, you could be arrested. And in the first couple of weeks, especially the first week, I just got it in my head. You know what? We're going to be meeting outside. It's going to be very visible that we're meeting outside. Um, somebody could call and report this and say, this is contrary to the governor's declarations and somebody get some burr under his saddle or something could come and arrest somebody and it would be me. And I just got it in my head. You know what? Uh, if that happens, so be it. I'll have to say, and I'll be happy to say, and I'm glad to be counted worthy to suffer this minor indignity here. Uh, if, if for the sake of the gospel, I can go to go to jail. Okay, that's 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 uh, something that I can count as a as really a, in that sense a blessing in the language of Acts chapter five and verse yeah. forty. So I, along these lines, as, as we think about maybe people even trying to come in, come against what we're teaching or come against what we're doing as we assemble and so forth, um, you all correct me if I'm not wrong, but this is how I've always kind of seen twenty seven and twenty eight. So Paul obviously tells him, act worthy, uh, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. He is encouraged by the fact that they have been standing firm in one spirit and in one mind have stri been striving together for the faith of the gospel. Then he says in verse 28, in no way have you been alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them. Uh, if I'm reading that correctly, what the way I've always taken that to mean if they're walking worthy and if they're being united in their common cause of spreading the gospel and standing up for Jesus, it will silence their opponents and it will destroy them because they're of course wanting to tear down the church. But as long as the church is, is wanting to work, walk worthily and stick together, they will put their opponents to shame um, is kind of the idea I've always taken that to mean because that, that's so consistent. Uh, throughout the book of Acts. How many times do we see Satan try to come in from outside and persecute the church in the book of Acts, like in Acts 5 and other places? Uh, and Acts 5 is a great example of that, because there you have uh, the apostles being arrested by some outsiders from uh, being persecuted from people who aren't Christians. But also in Acts 5, you also see Ananias and Sapphira sinning. You see Satan inside the church trying to use them uh, to discourage people. You see the same thing Maybe in Acts chapter 6, when, when, of course, the, the widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. That, that could have been a very bad problem that Satan could have used. But because the church was focused on unity and working, uh, walking in a way that was worthy with the gospel, Satan was put out of the church. It didn't work. Um, so if I, am I understanding these two verses correctly? Joe, you tell him whether he's understanding those two verses or not, because I was busy checking those words he wanted to know about. Yeah, I, I think you are on, on target with that. Uh, you know, you can just think through other passages dealing with adversaries. Who is the greatest adversary? You know, First uh, Peter 5, uh, the, the devil walks about as a roaring lion. He, he's our adversary, your, your adversary, the devil, I should say, the, the, the text there, First uh, Peter 5, 8. Uh, and so these are adversaries to the cause of Christ, like Satan is an adversary. Satan is going to be defeated. The adversaries are going to be defeated if they resist those who are standing fast. Now, that doesn't mean that those who are standing fast are going to physically survive. 
you, you have the beatings in Acts 5, you have the, the stoning of Stephen uh, uh, in, in Acts 7, uh, but the cause of Christ is not going to be defeated, um, uh, and, and they are going to, the, the contrast there is perdition and salvation in verse 28. And so I, yeah. I think the, the spiritual, the, the spiritual side of that is, I think you're exactly right. And, and, that, and, and, and that's what you said. I just wanted to clarify that we're not saying that people are going to physically not be harmed. He's pretty much saying exactly the opposite of that. Yeah. But, but we are just so far spiritually stronger uh, together. Um, yeah. Joe, uh, Jeff, go ahead and hold up your little circle again. This would be a great tie-in for it. Say something so that the screen switches okay, over to you. So here is yeah. a little twist tie put into a turned into a circle. If if everybody, let's say that that's that's the fence, and all the sheep are inside of there, and the coyotes are going to go after, you know, a sheep. Are they going to go for all the sheep that are together, mm -hmm. or might the coyote go for the one sheep that's on the outside by itself? Mm -hmm. Right. It, it, it's going to go for the one that's by itself every single time. And yep. in verse twenty-eight. Uh, if we are staying together, we are focusing on this unity of spirit and striving together with one mind for the faith of the gospel. It is going to be to the devil's destruction. Uh, the closer we stick together, um, the harder it's going to be for him to pick us apart is the idea. Um, so I appreciate Paul encouraging them in that, but he's going to have a whole lot more to say about that in chapter two, about their unity. So you so, want to know about those words? I do. All right, so Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, it's really uh, worthily of the gospel. It's an adverb, axios is the adverb. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, counted worthy uh, is actually a verb, but it's a verb that's related to axios. It would be the verb axiao with a preposition attached to the front, which would make it kataxiao, so it's not the same word, but it is certainly a related word. Okay, cool. Very good. Well, that's neat to have those connections. So I hope everyone can jot that down maybe in your Bible for a good cross-reference. But just a, another little thought while we're talking about the, the exact language in verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1, where it says, in the American standard, only let your manner of life be worthy. Notice that be worthy. Well, that uses an adjective in this translation. And I said, agziet. Uh, axios is a is an adverb so worthily so how do you why is there an adverb there because what he's really saying is uh worthily of the gospel and then he uses a verb and and the verb is conduct yourselves as a citizen it's a verb polituamai which is related to polis which is city and it has to do with citizenship and it talks about how you conduct yourself as a citizen and so there is the idea in the language that Paul is using here in Philippians chapter 1 of really what we're going to see over in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 when he says our citizenship is in heaven. So you start thinking about walking worthily of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to walk worthily in view of your citizenship, which is in heaven. And, and doesn't it seem appropriate that this is the book that he emphasizes that, as you said, here in 127 and in 320, the idea of citizenship. Philippi was a Roman city. Uh, people there, it was a veteran city, retired veterans, if I've understood the, the history right. correct. Um, uh, and so it, it would be a place where we might very well imagine 
you know, to put it in today's terms, uh, everybody would have a flagpole in their front yard. You know, this would be a very patriotic city. Uh, very great emphasis on uh, uh, their citizenship to Rome. I mean, that, that, that would mean a lot to the Philippians. And so he's emphasizing here that our citizenship is in heaven. Um, uh, and maybe just having that connected to the word of poly and politics and so forth uh, ought to remind us of where our allegiance should lie and where our focus uh, should, should be. Mm -hmm. Good. Well said. Guys, any other thing you want to point out through verse 30? We've already talk, talked about the suffering um, a good bit, but if there's anything else you all want to add from verse 29 or 30, feel free to do that now. Just really quick, uh, make, make note, because I think he's going to start keying off of this. Maybe he already has, but certainly he's going to from this point on. With one mind, mm -hmm. uh, that, that I, I think this is the first place that he introduces it, isn't it, 127? And, uh, but that's going to that's gonna come up, and you might just keep that in mind as we're reading through and studying through really a lot of chapter, all of chapter 2 and even going into chapter 3, um, uh, that, that one-mindedness that you were referring to earlier, Chase, uh, looking at that, that circle that Jeff uh, made so uh, prof yeah. Uh, professionally. Yeah, absolutely. Ch chapter two, one through nine, we'll uh, talk about that. Chapter three, we'll have moments. And then I was even thinking about chapter four, when Yodia and Syntyche are called out yeah. specifically for not being of one mind. Yeah. They needed to get along together. So yeah, certainly a theme through Philippians. We have about um, 12 minutes to go. We probably have time if we get there now to talk about the great example of the mind that they are to have as they strive to be of one mind. Let's read verses one through uh, 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So guys, I think perhaps next to, to live as Christ and to die as gain, this might be one of the more famous sections of the book of Philippians. Um, actually, there's a lot of, now that I think about it, there's a lot of famous verses from Philippians. Um, but this is certainly one that's, uh, I think, talked about a lot for a good reason. Um, and I love the way Paul starts it off in verse one. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and, and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Now, I don't, if I started a sentence like that, I'll be honest, guys, I don't know if I would have finished it that way. Um, 
you guys take it from here. Talk about why Paul's want for them to be of the same mind is so important. Well, I think at least in, in part, I'll, I'll answer that question. Uh, from verse one, all of those things, consolation, comfort, fellowship, affection, mercy, uh, those are the things that we find in Christ. Uh, he has really, while I mentioned earlier in chapter one, he, he talked a lot about himself. Notice all throughout that, the focus was really on Christ, even when he talked about himself. Uh, he talked about until the day of Jesus Christ in verse 6, chapter 1, 1, 8, the affection of Jesus Christ, the day of Christ, uh, righteousness, which are by Christ, the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ, verse 11, and just on and on. That just You can see several times he's emphasizing how Christ is what makes everything significant. And so if they are going to remain unified and of one mind, it's going to have to be based upon what Christ has given them and what they, what they are in Christ or who they are in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, you got anything you want to add? No, I'm, I'm kind of thinking ahead, um, thinking to when he gets down to the mind of Christ. So uh, go ahead. Well, um, and along with appealing for all this unity, um, he, he's going to tell them how that they can go about that. Uh, there's definitely some practical ways to apply that. Um, so in verse three, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Uh, don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. One of the best ways you can be of the same mind is by thinking of other people. And if you think about it, it almost sounds like a contradiction. If you want to be of the same mind, think of somebody else. That's right. Uh, but it's really cool because he's saying, stop thinking about yourself and think about someone else. Because as long as everybody is doing that, no one's getting left out. If we, everyone's thinking about somebody else. So it's really cool, the, the logic there that, that Paul has. Yeah, when do problems arise in a congregation? Well, they arise in a congregation when people get focused on their own agendas or they get their own feelings hurt and they're not focused on the needs of anybody else. It's just my feelings are hurt. Or if they feel like I have been belittled and now my ego's in it, when, when I turn inward and I'm thinking about how I feel and what somebody's done to me or how I look, then, then that's when you end up with problems and conflicts. But if everybody is thinking about what's good for one another and we each subordinate our own desires, then you're going to have unity and harmony. 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 No, I know what you meant. That's a good word for me. Um, but yeah, that's... Harmony. <laughs> say <laughs> yeah, look i've told people this i'm all for making up words as long as everybody knows what you mean so that that sounded good to me jeff um but I, I find so much encouragement in this but guys this is such a hard thing to apply i mean this is a hard hard way of life but it's the call that, that god expects all of us to meet um think about others and sometimes that that's becomes easier for some uh, for others it's more difficult but it's going to be a deliberate choice um, and it, it might be having to condition ourselves when we're, when we are trying to do something selfishly, um, we, we need to deliberately slow ourselves down and say, no, I, I'm going to choose to put someone else's interests ahead of my own. Um, Joe's disagreeing with me. Well, no, I mean, I'm just thinking all of this is great advice. I mean, obviously it's scriptural, but I, I just wish that we had an example of somebody that did that. 
Yeah. Wow. Well, it's too bad the letter ends here and Paul just says goodbye farewell. Oh, but wait, it doesn't. But wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more. Verse five. Exactly. Isn't that powerful that, that he gives all of this and it's like, okay, yeah. I, yeah. Okay. I do need to do that. I need to think about other people more. I need to forget about what my goals are and what I want, but, but man, how does that really look? But here's it how it looks. It looks like Christ, verse 5. Have this mind in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, counted not the being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant or a slave, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. You just think about what, what, I mean, in our culture, you think about slavery and what we think about slavery and who in his right mind who lives today in a comfortable house and has a comfortable job and um, recreation time and, and that sort of thing would just say, you know what, I think I'd like to go spend 30 years as a slave. Uh, and yet here is Jesus who is deity. And not only does he... Um, come in the form of the flesh, but he comes into the world in a relatively impoverished condition, even among humans, and puts himself in the position of somebody who has to be obedient to another as a slave. And he does that uh, for the sake of our salvation. And Paul says, that's the mind that we need to have. Yes. So um, how far do we need to go in fulfilling verses two through four? Uh, I read somebody once said that, that, that Jesus went from the throne to the thorns. Yeah. And uh, I think that was a, a, you know, thinking about that distance from the, the throne of God to the cross. Uh, yeah, we, we need to go as low as Jesus did. And I mean, you see the, the progression. Paul's doing this on purpose, right? Uh, you've got, he, he, was, he was God. He existed in the form of God. He went to a servant or slave, as Jeff said. Uh, he was made in the likeness of men. Uh, he was found in the appearance of a man. He humbles himself to the point of death, but it didn't stop there. Paul says he humbled himself to the point of death, death even on a cross, which, of course, Deuteronomy, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. I mean, this, this is the lowest form of death you could have been, been, been found with. And so he has humbled himself way lower uh, than what he deserved and what he needed to be. But why did he do it? This is Paul's whole point. Why did he do it? He did it for others. Right. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about others. But in his humiliation, what did God do for him? Exalted. He exalts him. Um, he who humbles himself will be exalted. <laughs> That's the way the Lord. That's the way God works. That is such a consistent message all throughout the scriptures of those who are lowly and are willing to put themselves in a low position, God will bring them up. And Jesus is the ultimate example of that. Your mind goes to Joseph or Abraham or Moses and so many others that, that meet that same type of, um, they're that same type and anti-type type of thing. Um, but God is the one that exalts. But when he exalted Jesus, he bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are on heaven, or in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. 
every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're listening and you don't believe in Jesus, uh, you're just listening to a couple of Christians or a few Christians sit here and talk about Jesus. One thing we firmly believe, if you, even if you don't confess Jesus in this life, you will confess Jesus one day. Uh, you, you will bow to his knee. Um, or bow to, sorry, you will bow your knee to him one day. Um, and that is a promise that, that God gives us here. Because his son what a, what was humiliated so much to be exalted. Go ahead, Jeff. Terrifying thought to be in the position of finally confessing Jesus when it's too late, when you've already been condemned. Yeah. And um, I, I pray that, that that's not any one of us. And I pray that if there's anyone listening today, that that's not you either. Um, and so if you, if you want to know more about what you need to do in order to, to bow your knee to King Jesus, uh, you can feel free to reach out to us. Uh, my, my email address is cdbuyers33 at yahoo.com. So you can uh, reach out to me or just use the BibleQuest.tv um, contact form there, and you'll be able to get a hold of any of us. But uh, guys, any other last comments today? Nope, looks like we'll start, uh, we'll start in with about uh, chapter 2, verse 12 next time. All right, that sounds good. Well, we appreciate everyone listening today. Um, Lord willing, we'll meet back next Wednesday at 3. Uh, God bless and take care, everyone.